Just a Spoonful, the podcast that is young and fully sick. Everyone you hear speaking on this podcast is living with a chronic illness and or disability, including me, your host, Caitlin Plyley. Hello, it's nice to talk to you. It's been a while. Um, it's been a few months between episodes and I'm sorry about that. Um, the reason is, can you guess, I've been too sick. Um, so chronic illness has been kicking my butt a little bit this year and uh, when I have had uh, any energy I've been doing paid work because that's kind of what you have to do isn't it um, so unfortunately that hasn't left me um, much time for the podcast but that is going to change and I have some good news about that which I will tell you in a minute but uh, first I'll catch you up on what I've been doing um, I have been doing things like I presented a panel at the Brisbane Writers Festival which was really fun uh, and also performed at the Women of the World Festival at QUT and really enjoyed that. Uh, also, my favorite, my absolute favorite, the National National Young Writers Festival, um, which was three weeks ago. I still I still miss it. Um, if you haven't been, it's in Newcastle at uh, the uh, beginning of each October and it's just the best thing ever. It's four days. It's like nerd camp. You meet everyone that you you know knew from Twitter and I saw dolphins. I saw dolphins. Um, and I've also been doing some writing for, you might have seen some of my writing in places like Vice or Seizure magazine. And um, I have a poem in the new Suburban Review. If you want to check that out, if you want to read some of my poetry, um, I wrote about relationships. Oh my God. Um, so that's really nice. I got my copy today and it's very pink and beautiful and like the binding is great. I love it. I love it. Um, so I recommend that. Uh, and a few weeks ago, I was on Triple J for the first time um, talking about this podcast of all things, which was really amazing. And I had a great time with Veronica and Lewis. I still can't really believe that, uh, that anyone at Triple J has heard my podcast. Uh, so the fact that I got to go on there and talk about it is still, I'm still, I'm still processing it. Um, but if you heard me on Triple J and you've come to listen, thank you so much. It's great to have you. And the reason that I'm going to be able to be a bit more regular with my content from now on and prioritize the podcast is because we have a Patreon and that means that uh, you can tip me basically. It's basically a tip jar. If you like what you hear, you can sling me a dollar, two dollars, five dollars, whatever you feel. A dollar is great. Like don't feel pressured. I would be grateful for anything. Um, and basically like you'll the podcast will still be free the podcast will always be free you'll never have to pay to listen to this to any of these episodes but the nice thing is that if you want to support me and help me keep making it you can do that and if you can afford it I know a lot of people if you're listening and you've got chronic illness or disability you probably don't have a lot of spare cash so don't feel pressured but the amazing thing is that within half an hour of launching the patreon we reached our first milestone it took <laughs> it took like less than 30 minutes um and we've actually passed our second milestone as well so i think as of now the podcast each podcast episode will make 122 dollars so you guys don't even know what that means to me that's amazing that means that i can buy new equipment um i am currently holding my podcaster in my hand because like it's a like a giant silver dildo because I can't afford a um I couldn't afford a mic stand but uh thanks to my patrons I'm going to be able to afford a mic stand and be like a legit person so um it's just it's like all sorts of things it's like I'm gonna hopefully if we if we reach the third milestone I'll be able to hire a captioner because I feel 
really passionate about inclusivity and I'm, it bums me out that hearing impaired listeners can't listen to a podcast about disability. So if we can hire a, a captioner, then we'll be able to, everyone will be able to enjoy it. Um, and eventually, hopefully, I'll be able to pay the guests. And that's pretty much the goal because I believe in people with disabilities getting paid. Hooray. Um, yeah, so if you want, if you feel like you want to check out the Patreon, it's patreon.com forward slash JAS podcast. You can do a one-off donation. You can pledge every, so every time I put out an episode, you can give me some money. I never put out an episode more than once a month. So you don't have to worry about going broke. And there are, there are rewards. So if you donate $1, um, you'll get access to patron only updates where I will post things like, I'll let you know what's happening to the podcast. And I'll also share with you my Hunger Games poetry, which I don't share with anyone. Um, so I hope you like acrostics of the name Katniss. Um, and also if you pledge $5 or over, you get access to a secret Google Hangout pajama party that I'm going to hold. Um, and we're all going to hang out in our pajamas and you can tell me uh, what you think of the podcast, what you would like to see happen. And um, just tell me about yourself because I really want to know, like the people who listen to this, I'm so curious about you. Who are you? Tell me, tell me, um, tell me about your life. Oh, that's pretty much like what I do now, isn't it? I just make people tell me about their life. <laughs> that's what this podcast is. Sweet. Um, just trying to like legitimize my creepy behavior. Um, yeah. Oh, and if you pledge, if you pledge $20 or more, which I didn't think anyone was going to do, to be honest. So I set this reward and one person has pledged $30 an episode, which is terrifying. But thank you. Thank you so much. But the reward I set thinking that no one was going to pick this is that um, you, if you pledge over $20 an episode, you can choose a, a word or phrase for me to secretly work into the next conversation I record so the guest won't know and I'll have that I'll just have to like casually work in a conversation whatever word that you've picked for me like whatever god-awful word that you have made are gonna make me say to a stranger like um so that'll be fun and I'm I'm really like wondering if I'm gonna regret that um but yeah you check out patreon.com forward slash js podcast or if you, you like the link is on our twitter page which is at js podcast and please send me a tweet um but that's enough of that let's just get on with it um we have an amazing guest this episode i'm really excited to share this talk with you she um this in this chat with you i think she is the first guest i've had on this podcast that has previously been nominated for australian of the year which is pretty cool uh and her name is priscilla sutton she is a, an amputee, a disability advocate, and the founder of Spare Parts, which is a not-for-profit initiative uh, that links up pre-loved prosthetic limbs with artists and creates this exhibition with painted legs and arms, and it's wonderful. Uh, and in 2012, she actually took that exhibition to London to coincide with the Paralympics, and she talks tells the story about how that happened and... Um, it's just incredible. I think looking back, she sort of talks about it sort of seeming like it happened to someone else because it's such a, like, how could that have happened? Um, yeah, really fascinating person. And we talk about how living with disability makes everything more expensive somehow and, um, why you can't just send a pre-used prosthetic limb to poor people in a, in a third world country. Um, and she talks, even though she's all in, all into recycling, um, and we talk about that too, she talks about growing up poor and how that has affected 
her relationship with material items and um, just it's just uh, I really had a great time talking to her. She doesn't live in Brisbane anymore, so, but she very kindly um, phoned in so we could still chat and um, yeah, uh, had a great time talking to Priscilla. I think she's just one of the most interesting people and very, very fun. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Priscilla Sutton. just filled with beanie babies just yes. beanie babies like they can't get through the door they've got so many unwanted beanie babies <laughs> yes there are beanie babies actually have really hardcore collectors yes they do yeah, yeah they're one of those really weird things that um that kids love and throw away but um somewhere along the line wires got crossed and there's some really strange grown-ups that collect them yeah. And, yeah, they're really they're really serious collectors and they pay a lot of money for the unique ones. <laughs> and I just think that's one of the weirdest I've I've heard of fetishes that are more acceptable. <laughs> but, but yeah, I think beanie babies are kind of cool but weird that, you know, people are so hardcore into collecting them. Yes, I, I mean, I, I remember I was a child during the Beanie Baby craze of the 90s. <laughs> uh, I had Beanie Babies, like lots of them. And I think we have one of those, I don't know if you, like those, those like triangle nets that parents will sort of staple to the wall above their kid's bed just to, just to have somewhere to put all the goddamn toys. And yes. I, I have one of those just full of Beanie Babies and, and other <laughs> stuffed toys. And um, it was a bit like the Holland's famous tulip bubble where all of a sudden tulips went up in just everyone decided that tulips were the thing in Holland in like the 18th century or something and tulips went up like um they were worth thousands they were just they were just almost impossible to buy because they became so sought after that they were so expensive and uh and then and then uh, like everyone was investing in tulips and then like of course like most fads everyone lost interest and these people lost all of like all of their assets because they'd poured them all into tulips um, it's basic microeconomics, supply and demand. Yes. Oh, it's like, it's yeah, amazing. It's really it, fascinating. I wonder if like in a hundred years they'll call it the Beanie Baby bubble or something like that, you know? Yeah. <laughs> economics no, classes will. will teach Beanie Babies. <laughs> <laughs> a professor no, will hold really up a little smurf. Yeah. I actually had a friend who used to design them. And no way. had some pretty interesting stories about the... The full-on Beanie Baby enthusiasts, yeah. Oh wow! Yeah. That well, I mean that that. Uh, can we talk to him? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> He's very interesting. Yeah. <laughs> since I started this podcast last year I've like I've become some kind of ghoulish collector of people with disability uh, like, oh, no. like I've got That's friends great. I've got friends who are abled you know uh, like don't have any impairment of any sort and they're like can I come on your podcast and I'm like nope <laughs> yeah you got all your faculties yeah mate. <laughs> sorry mate got all your arms and legs don't have anything that makes you uh, need to buy 
medication or go on Centrelink? No, you're out, you're out, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, I, I used to go to a gym that was um, in Brisbane and it's for people with disabilities. And anyone in the community can access it, but the cheap membership price was, you know, $2.50 to use the gym wow. for a one-off visit compared to 15 to 20 at, you know, a mainstream gym. Yeah. And a lot of my friends would say, oh, man, can I come to your gym? <laughs> no, you got all your bits working, mate. <laughs> and then I'd say, yeah, you can come, but it's $4 for you, <laughs> which was so cheap and reasonable anyway. It's still cheap, but yeah. I, I quite liked that because there's something about having disability that makes life more expensive. Yes. Where it might be that from the basic things of because of your disability, you're just so exhausted that you actually can't make it to or from the bus stop or the train station. Mm. So you catch a taxi mm-hmm. to medication that a lot of people have to have or treatments or appliances that they have to buy yeah. and all these different things. There's just so much about having disability that like makes life more expensive in this day and age. And I just don't get it i don't understand why why the world hasn't figured that out because you yeah. know like i don't get any Centrelink benefits or anything like that and um and i was once actually told that i wasn't disabled enough which was <laughs> oh. really interesting because at the time i was standing in front of a woman at Centrelink and i had no leg not a prosthetic and i had bandages and i was on crutches and i was one of those people who lost their shit in Centrelink Good. and told her to get fucked so i just lost it yeah and, you know and that was in the valley it was really classy of me oh but yes I was so upset and it was because i was actually going through a really difficult rehab process and i thought okay i'm actually not not going to get back to full-time work or full-time study or anything anytime soon and i'd actually gotten to that personal moment of acceptance yeah. and i'd gone in to ask for help and that was the attitude i got yeah. so as it stands like the i don't get any assistance but what i do get is through medicare they pay for prosthetic limbs Right, okay. But if I want any cosmetics, I have to pay for that because, God forbid, the government would want to help us actually look and feel good about ourselves. Yeah, no, no. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I'm really excited about the NDIS because a lot of people think that it's just going to be for, um, you know, I can't even describe it, but just the basic of wheelchairs. But what it is is, you know, we'll actually have more opportunity to have a say a yeah. choice over what we actually get so if you are a wheelie then maybe you can actually get you know the wheelchair that you really want that will actually improve your life and yeah. will help you get out and about do the job you want to do all sorts of stuff and the same with prosthetics is it will allow amputees to have better choice about what they get instead of just accepting what you're given yeah no that's yeah i i, I think uh, i was when i was um researching you for this very well-researched interview where I asked you about Smurfs. Um, no, I, I, uh, I saw you, I heard that you are not in favour of, um, of second-hand prosthetics being sent to, say, um, I, I don't remember which country it was, this, but it was like Laos or something. Like, you yeah. want, you, you think, um, not, sorry, I'm not saying you think, like, obviously, but, like, people no, deserve right. custom-made new limbs. But, yes, but could you yeah. elaborate on, on why exactly? Well, I just have this thing of I, you know, I grew up quite poor, our family, mm. and I, whatever we got, we loved. And I very much understand 
the concept of beggars can't be choosers. Yeah. So when you are really poor, whatever you get is wonderful. And, you know, if it functions and it doesn't smell bad, then isn't that great? You know, yeah, <laughs> yeah, wonderful. yeah. <laughs> and I, so I totally get that. And, you know, throughout my adult life, I've continued to love and enjoy secondhand shopping. Mm. And for me now, I don't have to buy something from Vinny, but, you know, it's actually more an enjoyable process to buy something that is secondhand to give it a second life. Mm. But at the same time, something that really drives me bananas is the thought that poor people, whether they are in Australia or in a third world country, only deserve your old crap that you don't want anymore. Yeah. Wouldn't it be lovely if we thought more about instead of donating old stuff, which is, yes, very good to do, but actually about helping people buy some nice stuff? Mm. Why do poor people not deserve to have a new couch that's worth $200? Yeah. You know? So, that's, that's kind of, and it's, sometimes it's really hard to articulate, but I yeah. just sort of think about um, how much I loved secondhand things when I was a kid, um, but how much how different it was when I got something that was new and because it was mine you know it was it was like it was made for me so I'm not against it I'm not anti-recycling very much into it but when it comes to disability and prosthetics and and you know any any appliances like I was saying with the finance side of it there's something about you know disability that always costs more but there's also this other side of having a disability where you will always feel different yeah no matter how much you have integrated or adapted uh, or how people have accepted you or whatever, at the end of the day, there's still something different that you will probably have to do to get through your day Mm. than people without disability. And I just think that if people are going through those experiences, what can we do to make it better? And when you recycle prosthetic limbs, so, for example, if I don't like, you know, if I grow out of my leg or whatever um, and it's going to be donated, what actually happens to that is I can't send it to Jim Bob in another country and he whacks it on. Yeah. It's actually moulded specifically for my stump, my alignment of my body, my leg length, everything. Yeah. So there's sometimes stories in the media about, Jim Bob getting a leg and some clinic in such and such country, you know, making it fit him. And those stories drive me crazy because they're so unrealistic. And all I think is poor Jim Bob has the crappiest leg in the world for him. (laughs) Yeah. So then what generally happens though is when you do donate old legs is they're actually stripped. So the socket, which is the bit that your stump goes into, is thrown in the bin because that's really moulded for your exact stump. Yeah. And then the pole and all the components around that and the foot are the bits that might be reused. But then there's a few catches in that. Um, technology is progressing in Australia so fast that sometimes components that might be sent overseas, those clinics might not have the tools or skills to actually use the components properly. Right. And so are they actually being used or are they becoming detrimental? to those clinics and to the health of these people and beyond all of that they're just old they're so old that I can't use them anymore Mm. and of course because sure enough oh sorry what was that oh no just I mean that's that's why you're not using it anymore that's I imagine 
you know, if it's if you're throwing a pair of shoes out because you've worn through them, <laughs> yeah. Do you really think that like a, a really poor person would like that or a pair of five dollar new shoes from Kmart? Yeah. You know, and yeah, it's no, that so kind true. of that example of you know, do you think it's just as nice to give your really old crap that you would no longer use? to someone who's poor or could you give them a pair of shoes from Kmart because mm. the legs that are made in Laos so the clinic in Laos that I really love there's only one there called Cope and they're one of many like this around the world that are popping up where they actually make brand new prosthetics from scratch they don't use um, secondhand recycled donated components at all wow. uh, ironically in the past they've actually given me some legs that, and arms that have been donated to them because they don't use them Right, okay. um, so they actually make them from scratch and so they are very good if you think about the Kmart analogy my prosthetic might actually cost me 10 grand in Australia mm. and the legs and the materials that they're using it's almost a crime that my leg costs $10,000 but the components and materials their leg is about $50 Australian what? So that's where I'm looking at the Kmart analogy. So do I have the, you know, um, Chanel of legs and there's a Kmart version that we could, that is still very good. You can still get through the day with those Kmart shoes. They're still fantastic. Yeah. They cover your feet and protect you and help you get around. Yeah. They just don't have all the whiz-bang stuff. And so I just think that there's so much more that people could do in supporting those clinics that you know, are doing it from the grassroots and providing service to people in their countries that actually suits them and giving these people with disabilities something new that is made for them. Yeah. And I just think that that's really powerful in so many emotional as well as physical ways. And when you think about how good you feel when you get a pair of shoes that are custom made or, or fit just right, you bought them new, like those are uh -huh. shoes. Imagine how feeling it, how having a, a new leg would feel. That's that's what uh -huh. I think. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. And you know, um, yeah, I just sort of think, you know, wouldn't it be wonderful if they all had the exact same leg that I had? And that's, you know, that, there's that's like all of these, world. like there's like half a dozen Priscillas out there, just yeah. <laughs> all <laughs> the same. Yeah. At the very least, a new leg that's perfect for them, made for them. You know, I just think that that is so much better than, here, take my old crap that I don't want anymore. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't dare wear it, but you should. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. I yeah, I think that that's, that's where I come from because with the exhibition I've done, I've actually been criticised on a number of occasions because I don't collect limbs to give to poor African children. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> and I get really cranky, and I always try to take that as an opportunity to educate people about what donating a prosthetic means. Yeah. Um, and to promote the organisations like COPE that I really love. But I hate that idea of, oh, you better give your old crap to the poor black children. <laughs> that's not cool. It, it really upsets me that, pe that that's people's initial thought is you've got something old so you should give it to poor people. So I fight, I fight people on this all the time. <laughs> yeah, good, so, good. Yeah. Um, we'll talk about your exhibition and why people are giving you their arms and legs in a, in a moment, but what like what do you think why do you think people think about poor people as being somehow different as having different wants and needs and not like uh, I feel like when people 
think about people who are like who have been comfortably well off for, for most of their lives and they think about people who are living below the poverty line, they seem to assume that they immediately lose any need for dignity in their life. Mm. That that's yeah. the, that dignity is like yeah. the first thing to go and not a necessary part of survival. But I often like you we were talking about this before, it's hard to articulate why why you don't just want to wear other people's um you know rejected crap um but what how do you how do you sort of address people who have this attitude it's it's a really hard one and i think it can really depend on who you're addressing because there's no clear-cut um way to describe it or um you know encourage people to understand it because everyone comes from such a different background yeah but um but i I don't know what it is and I don't know if it's, um, you know, every time I think of a way to describe it, I just think, no, that suits that individual. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think about, um, you know, even during the floods in Queensland mm. where so many people lost everything that they had and um, and my brother and his girlfriend were two of those people that lost everything in um, the Lockyer Valley. And the first thing that I did, because I couldn't even get to them, I couldn't help with the cleanup or anything. They were sort of, you know, stranded out there, um, was, okay, well, they've lost everything. So the best thing that I could do is collect some stuff. I don't have, you know, heaps of bucks in the bank to go and buy them all new things, but what can I collect to get them by? Mm. And so between some friends and I, we collected, you know, a couple of um, uh, utefuls of different things. And it's interesting because my brother and his girlfriend were so grateful. And some of the stuff that we collected went to different people that they knew and to the collection in Helladon that was going to other locals. Um, And in their home, they really loved that they could set up a new little house far away from water. Yeah. um, Yeah. that had things that had been donated to them and it meant a lot and it was so nice to go into their home and to see little bits and pieces that I knew I'd picked up from friends' garages. Yeah. You know, and, and to see that and to go, I just love that, you know, um, that those little things helped them. And then the next phase of that, I love going into their home and seeing how they've over the years slowly rebought things yeah. for their home that's their style um, their taste and it makes them feel better because it's their thing so it's kind of interesting because I, I don't know if that's describing it the same as well because at that moment when they lost everything not everyone has money in the bank to replace stuff they would have been considered quite poor below the poverty line had nothing left hmm. so they really needed donations um, but that difference in your home life and your mentality when you actually can buy things for yourself that you've chosen yes I really yeah I don't know if that's really making it clear but I think about that as well that I'm so into recycling and giving things a second chance but at the same time you know I think given a chance most people would really like to buy something that they've chosen yeah and I think I don't know if that makes sense at all sorry <laughs> no I, I think I think it does and I, I think that you um like the example you've used clarifies that I think the kind of um, just using people things like just having things that people have donated to you because you were in dire need um, is not intended to be like a, a consistent like a constant way of living 
like yes. the, the assumption is that you'll get back on your feet um, you know, or or back on your wheels, uh, depending on who you are. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that's, um, that's a good one. I, there's so many puns, but um, and idioms that you go, oh, that's. I know. You know as soon as I said it, I was it, like, I think about that. <laughs> yeah, like you haven't got a leg to stand on. Well, yeah. <laughs> some yeah. people don't. There's so many that but. people say to me, and then they stop and go, sorry. I just think, <laughs> Why are you saying sorry? It's a pun. It's you know, yeah. it's fine. No, I have, a, I have a friend who's a wheelchair user and she, like, I'll ask her, you know, are you going to get a cab somewhere? And she'll say, no, I'm going to walk. Um, and it, I've just yes. I've just come to realize that some things are figurative uh, and you, yes. you don't have to take everything literally. Yeah, it's the same with blind people when they say it's great to see you. Yeah, of course. And they mean that because that's, you know, that's what you say. They're not going to start saying nice it's great to, to meet you. you if they've yeah. met you before. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. great. It's great to smell you. Yeah. Although I would like to hear that. I mean, if pe- anyone, sighted people, anyone wants to say that I smell good, I'm down for that. But uh... yeah. <laughs> That's funny. But no, it is really interesting, and I'm not sure what it is. Is, is it over the years that, you know, because um, you know, I know when I was a kid, most of us were pretty poor. Like, mm. it was normal. I think if someone had a pool when I was a kid, and I, I grew up in, like, a regional Queensland town mm. um, on the coast, and... Um, you grew up in Mackay? Yeah. yeah. And if people had a pool, they were, they were proper rich, you know, whereas now you go to Mackay, everyone's got a pool. Oh, it's all that mining money, right, at Mackay? Yeah, it is. Yeah. So life has changed, but has it changed our sort of perception of, you know, what um, rich and poor is and what that feels like? And I don't know. No, I think that's a really good yeah. point. Um, I think about this a lot when I... Um, I, I I sort of uh, for many years because of my um, my health condition uh, have not been able to work full time and I hover around the poverty line um, and then I have neighbours who have like pools you know their private pools and stuff like that um, and uh, you know I hear the kids doing bombies in it all day long and when it's those really like that's fine but it's when it's those really like 40 degree Brisbane days um, <laughs> and I feel like me and my housemates are just looking at each other and like just basically spending the whole day and our entire conversations will be ah you know <laughs> I'm dying and you know I just sometimes think like if if we had more of like a uh, not to, to, to use a very well-worn phrase, a sharing economy, um, the kind of thing where I could just go over to the neighbour and say, we don't have a lawnmower, you have a lawnmower they're not using today. Can yes. I use it and just, like, give you something in return? Or can I come and jump in your pool because no one's in it right now, but it's still there? Mm. Um, yeah, but I don't know I how agree. to do that. I don't know how to do that. Well, this, um, have you heard of the Food is Free project? I have not. It's really great. So Food is Free has a Facebook page um, and how I was introduced to it was a friend of mine who runs Food is Free Ballarat and she has a fabulous Facebook page that you can look up as well, which is just Food is Free Ballarat. Um, And she got into this because she moved to the country and started growing her own vegetables and her veggie garden um, is wonderful Mm. and creates a lot of produce and she realized that she was growing more than what she could eat Wow! and I guess you can only give your friends so many tomatoes and different things so many chutneys they're like please no more chutney yeah so um so she started putting free food in the laneway oh that's nice next to her house with a sign saying free please take me and Mm. then I think it was other people started 
putting food there to share. And so now people come and go all day long and bring things or take things. Oh, wow. And some people bring and take. Um, they also share um, seedlings. So, That's great. you know, if people have an abundance of that, it's really, really quite amazing. And some of the stories that um, have come out of it have been really amazing. And about, you know, a lot of single mums have been able to go and get amazing fresh fruit yeah. and vegetables for them and their children. Oh, yeah. And they leave notes saying, I can't actually afford to buy this at Coles, so thank you. And, like, it's just so heartwarming. It's wonderful. Oh, that and, is wonderful. Yeah. And, you know, there's this old bloke in town who um, has apple trees and he just loves being able to donate apples and his daughter drives him down to the laneway to donate them. Mm-hmm. And he goes out and picks them and it's given him something to really do with his time and his produce, which he can't eat all of it. And everyone in his family is probably really sick of apples after <laughs> all his trees. And so, you know, and he's become like a really interesting character that as a Facebook um, liker, I've gotten to know and really love his story. And so there's things like that that I really love in the world. So, yeah, I don't want people to think that I'm anti, um, you know, donations and secondhand oh, stuff because yeah. I'm actually really into it. But, yeah, it's, the, the limbs are a bit different, but the food's great. And I think that... Um, I read an article recently, and I can't remember where this was, but there was a library that was starting to lend out more things than books, and it was things like sewing machines. Oh, cool. And it was so great, and I've been talking about this quite a lot because when I'm not doing leg stuff, I also do a lot of talking about um, downsizing and chucking out all your junk. Yeah. So, um, and so, uh, and I think that we need more libraries like this yeah. where it could be sewing things or especially tools for the shed oh my god yes yeah where you could actually just go you know this weekend i'm going to do this work and i probably need these tools do i want to spend 200 bucks for this one job or can i go actually just borrow them oh. from a tool library yes. and then bring them back and or why can't a community like a street what if there was someone in every street who had a spare shed and everyone you know, contributed their tools to the shed. Engrave it with your name if you want it back, but everyone can go in and just borrow from each other instead of yes. going and buying the whole new thing for probably using it once or twice. This is something that I have personally been struggling with uh, for a while, like a year and a half ago when I just me and my housemates just wanted to put a nail up. None of us have much money and, and uh, none of us had a hammer. And I, I knew that the neighbors had a hammer because, um, you know, because their shed is under my bedroom window. Um, oh, which how is, nice. You've which probably is, heard the hammer. <laughs> I know they have a hammer. Um, but, <laughs> um, but I went around. I thought, well, hey, you know, like this could be like a neighborhood bonding experience. I was still new to the area. And so I went around uh, to go knock on their door and say, hey, could I like borrow a hammer? Or you know, like, borrow a cup of sugar, except what I need is a hammer. Uh, for for like ten minutes, and um, they the 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 people with the pool they live behind um, uh, high walls, and uh, they have like an outer wall, and then like with a fence, and then like an inner gate, uh, and like there's like a steel there's like a metal cage in front of their front door. They're not. <laughs> it doesn't give you the the warmest impression. So yeah. <laughs> uh, I so I stood I stood there like trying to you know knock for like trying to knock on the gate for a while and uh, and ringing the doorbell and nobody came so I went okay 
uh, and me and my housemates uh, got the nail into the wall with with a rock we found in the backyard. But um, <laughs> but I hurt my hand, of course, because uh, I was using a rock as a hammer. Um, yes. But <laughs> but like that was one of those things where we were kind of like we like we don't and. Uh, I think when you've got money, you, you can forget this, that 20 bucks is a lot of money. We, like, you know, we couldn't afford, I couldn't even afford really to, like, make the trip to a Kmart or something to get a cheap uh, hammer, even if I could afford yeah. the hammer. So uh, just somebody lending me a hammer for, like, 10 minutes would have just been the most oh, yeah. beautiful thing. <laughs> yeah, and that's amazing. Um, with my university, they've got a, um, a page for the students for stuff that's free and for sale. And sometimes I just crack up laughing, taking a screenshot of the item and send it to friends for a a laugh where you're just going, I can't believe someone actually bought this and now they're (laughs) trying to sell it. (laughs) And there's all these crazy things. Beanie babies, just all beanie babies. Yeah, yeah. But sometimes the, the poverty level of students is so obvious through what they're trying to sell. Yes. It really breaks my heart. Yeah. And I, you know, I'm always cleaning stuff out. And when I moved into my current flat, I had a few excess things that I wanted to get rid of. And once I found this page, I thought, oh, this is great because I'd rather give it to students than give it to Vinnie's who will charge students money for it. Yeah. So, so I put up all this stuff and it was things like an old washing basket and blah, blah, blah. And I just posted and said, free first in best dress and I got these messages going free why is it free is it broken (laughs) and I was saying no no I just you know like I don't and because people will put a washing basket up and say for sale one dollar yeah and and I just think I don't need your dollar doll like it's all good yeah and um and so yeah and then I had like this boot full of free stuff and I pulled up at the car park at uni where I told everyone to meet me and I felt like a total drug dealer standing <laughs> in my car giving stuff out and this girl came up she you know had asked for something and I was giving that to her and she was saying so are you finished are you leaving is that why you're giving everything away and are I you said, finished no, I'm starting actually <laughs> I've just moved here and this is my first semester and um and I just don't need this stuff and I just figured some fellow students might like it and she was so confused (laughs) that I wasn't selling yeah and I said no but it's just it's like you know I I feel ashamed if I asked for a dollar for this stuff and the washing basket was really interesting because this one girl got in really quick for the washing basket and Mm. then another girl had messaged me asking if it's still available and I said sorry man it's gone um, and then a few weeks later, I was cleaning out another little box and I came across another washing basket, like a fold-up one. Oh, right, yeah. And I thought, oh, well, I don't need it. So I sent that girl a message and I said, hey, I found another washing basket. Uh, do you want it? And she was so shocked <laughs> that I remembered her and I went back and tried to give her a washing basket. And I met her and she's like, thank you so much for remembering. I'm like, that's okay. Hope you enjoy it. And she just walked off baffles. I don't think this happens. Like, why people, you know, and in the same way that I don't think, you know, you should just give your stuff to poor people. <laughs> yeah. But I'm thinking, I've never even used this washing basket before. And so how nice that this girl got it as that interim thing, the same as my brother, when they just needed something to get by. Yeah. And I but, hope people pay it forward yes. when they get things like that. That's a wonderful philosophy. Um, yeah. 
which uh, helps me sometimes. Sometimes when you when you have been counting pennies for so long, you can get a little bit miserly. And when uh-huh. you give something to someone, you uh, I don't know I shouldn't say you. I should own it. Me. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I find myself sometimes thinking, oh no, should I give this away? Should I keep it? Or uh, you know, when I'm about to give someone a gift uh, that I don't something I don't use, and then I I sort of think to myself, um, I'm just putting out good things into the world. Um, yes. You know yeah. that like I don't need I don't need to get anything back. Um, getting a better world yes. is the reward. Um, yeah, yeah. I think giving <laughs> is actually quite a gift that you can give yourself. Yeah, it feels um, good. It feels really yeah. good. And I've I've been getting into well, I've always been a bit into handmade pre- birthday presents and Christmas presents because. Uh, birthdays and Christmas can get out of control. Christmas is the mm. worst, um, yes. especially when you when you're like just trying to get by every week uh, just to pay for your own life, and then you you know you feel like you've got to if you if you're gonna buy someone a present, there is a certain threshold of expense that it feels it feels necessary. Like uh, if someone's really important to you, you feel like you should spend a bit more. Um, uh. You don't feel like you can hand them something that was clearly worth five dollars i don't know like that's just maybe that's just um because i grew up uh, upper middle class uh so i don't know if that's just yeah no i think there's a lot of heavy expectations on gifts mm-hmm. and um and i think you know over the years with christmas if i see stuff during the year that's for sale yeah that would be a great christmas gift i'll get it because i'll think oh they'll think i've spent 50 bucks but i've spent 10 <laughs> and you know, and I've kind of gotten into that habit, but it is a real trap. And mm. um, and I have become one of the worst people in the world to buy for because I chuck everything out. <laughs> and I had a garage sale a few years ago, and a girlfriend of mine um, uh, brought her stuff along as well. So we kind of had this garage sale together, and um, and I was getting rid of so much stuff. And I said to her, "I'm really worried that." a lot of this is gifts that people have given me. Yeah. So if you get chatting to any of my friends, feel free to apologise on my behalf. And she was laughing, saying, you don't know what people have given you. And I said, no, I'm a shocker for receiving gifts because I'm really hard to buy for and people buy me random things that I don't need. Yeah, because you feel like you have to buy them something. Yeah, and and then I actually did have some friends ask if they could have the gift back that they'd given me mm. and and I was just like absolutely yeah no worries because I think you probably bought it because you really liked it yeah but it was of no use to me so you can definitely take it back you know yeah and you know but it was really funny there was so much stuff there that I just I don't even know what's what anymore so and I'm much more into experiences um where I love getting a card I got a card for my birthday this year and it was um, you know, two tickets to an exhibition and a pizza dinner. Oh, <laughs> and that lovely. was what my friend wrote, like, well, I'll shout your pizza and let's go to this exhibition. And I went, that's amazing. That's, oh. I get to spend time with you and eat yummy food for free. Like, that's awesome. That's the best. Oh. Yeah. I, I really think um, that kind of, I'm trying to sort of have more of that in my life, you know, mm, M- more yeah. more meaning ra- as opposed to, uh, I suppose, meaning as opposed to like a monetary value. Um, yes, yeah. I just think that gifts are a real trap and there's this expectation that you're supposed to give gifts. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, but I think that there's, you know, nicer things like giving people food and, um, you know, like baking something. Yeah, um, baking is especially wonderful. Especially 
Yeah, especially if people have intolerances, bake them something that they can eat and um, or just spend time with people. We've we've gotten so busy buying gifts and spending our money that we've forgotten to spend time with people as well. So it's true. Yeah, there's a lot more quality out there that we can actually experience. Yeah, and if you make something for someone, the whole time you're making it, you're thinking about them. And then when you give it to them, they know that you were thinking about them for that Mm. length of time. And I think it's also really nice because you, I think at the heart of it, you're giving a person a present to say, I celebrate that you're here with me. And and spending time thinking about how much you love your friend or your family member or whoever it is, uh, is is good for you. I think it's it's a lovely way to spend an afternoon. (laughs) I really yeah, enjoy it. it. Yeah. So it's no, good. I it's really win-win. agree with that. Yeah. But no, I'm terrible to buy for. People have given <laughs> up and I am so glad that they have. <laughs> well, if you're trying but, to minimize the be minimal, then it's yeah. It's like no presents, please. Yeah. And sometimes I give it back straight away. <laughs> As well. It's, it's, oh. really, it's a really interesting place to be where you go, I really love it, but I don't want it in my house. I'm not gonna use it. Yeah. Yeah, and it's you're allowed to say no. Like, I think that we've forgotten that as well, that you're allowed to say no and you're allowed to, like, just say, please don't do this, don't buy it. Please don't do this. Yeah, yeah, I know. This is why I don't get gifts anymore. Uh. (laughs) I'm horrible. But I just sort of think I'm going to be honest with you because otherwise you're going to see it at my next garage sale. (laughs) That's so true. Yeah, no, honesty is the best policy. Um, but uh, what about if also like you've had for like fast the past uh, four years or so people have been giving you arms and legs. Yes. Uh, are you still getting those gifts? No, I've put a hold on it, and that's where like I've always been a shopper and a bit of a hoarder, and mm. I, I do think that that's actually come from growing up quite poor. That, yeah, yeah. Um, and I think that happens to a lot of people that you kind of go, well, I never had things before, so I'm going to keep everything and buy everything now that I can. Of course, um, yeah. And it was quite a trap. That, and then when I started collecting arms and legs for an exhibition, then I realised that now I had everyone else's crap too. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so I had my last exhibition um, that I did. I decided to only use the limbs that I had, and I didn't collect any new ones mm. and it was to clean out my shed and um and I did actually donate all of the proceeds of that because usually I'm very much into the artists making money which is a crazy yes. concept no I'm um, way into it yeah yeah it's bananas that um so the last one I <laughs> had 10 very lovely artists who all agreed to actually donate the profits to cope in Laos so we oh, raised wonderful. enough money for um it was at least 30 prosthetics, which was really great. Was this was this exhibition at the Powerhouse? Yeah, that was at the Powerhouse. Um, that was in late 2013. Right, yeah. So this was at the at the Brisbane Powerhouse for the Spare Parts yes. exhibition. Yes, which yeah, is that's how right. most people listening might know about you. Um, yes. It's very popular. And you actually, uh, the year before that, went to the London Olympics with yes. all of these prosthetics. Yeah. Oh, sorry, not the Olympics, the Paralympics. My bad. Yeah, that's okay. Um, yeah. What was that like? I know you've probably talked about it at ad infinitum, but please tell me. Oh, I'm so right. curious. No, it, was, it was amazing. Um, I'd actually had my first exhibition in 2010, mm. and um, and it was really successful, which was a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> so, because at first, because this leads into how 
London happened and how great it was. Mm. But, um, but at first, it was because I wanted to do a creative project and it kind of all came about that way. And that I had my own legs and I sort of thought, ah, oh, imagine how many other arms and legs are out there sitting in the cupboard, you know, not being used because they're no good anymore. You can't wear them anymore for whatever yeah. reason. Um, if I've got a couple in just a few years that everyone must and it turns out they do mm. so I you know got an incredible amount of limb donations from all around the world and um and then I sort of told my friends oh, I want to do this thing and and they all really liked it and I thought oh maybe they're just being nice, <laughs> <laughs> nice and supportive and um and then it turned out that everyone really liked it and it was really successful and really popular and which is really wonderful and I wasn't yeah. just the crazy leg lady. So, um, and it was because of the popularity of that one in Brisbane that people kept saying, you're going to do it again, you're going to do it again. And I thought, no, this was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Yeah. I don't want to do this again. I'm not mad. And then I kind of made a few jokes about, you know, well, I think I'd only do it again if it was in London during the Paralympics. <laughs> and just sort of, I was being a bit of a smart ass about it, actually. <laughs> Thinking as if you know, like that's awesome. Yeah, and um, and then it kind of turned into a dare that well, you should try. Why wouldn't you try? And then people really tapped into my competitive side with that, (laughs) and I started asking around if anyone would pay for it with sponsors. And next thing I know, I'm in London looking at venues, and it happened. So it was it was pretty crazy, but it was a massive. Thing to pull off because I organised the majority of it from Australia mm. um, and it was a brand new exhibition because a lot from the first exhibition sold mm. and so I took about five pieces from the original one that hadn't sold and that was really nice to take them through to London for that yeah. the legacy of that. The legacy? Another pun. Hey. Yeah, yeah, legacy. So, <laughs> um, but it was really amazing and to make it happen I had a number of sponsors get involved but I also had to do a lot of fundraising and so I had some just amazing friends and supporters um, help me raise the rest of the money I needed and um, and I spent three months in London um, collecting everything, promoting the exhibition, putting it together. I was there every day for the exhibition wow. um, and it was it was amazing and it was so hard the most horrific thing I've ever done in my life <laughs> to pull it off. And, yeah, in a foreign um, country. Yeah, it was, oh, it was really full on. And the, the day, like the morning it opened, because it had taken like two, you know, 20-odd hour days to install it because it was two massive rooms, this huge gallery space that I had. And I had a whole team of helpers and, and I was beyond exhausted. I was so buggered by the morning that it opened that, I got down to the gallery and um, and we were opening at 10 a.m. And um, and there was sort of, it was on a side street off Brick Lane in the East End. And, oh, yeah. Um, yeah, so it was um, on the street and then you walked into sort of like a courtyard before you walked into the exhibition space. And, um, and we had the door to the exhibition closed and I was just doing all the last-minute things, walking around polishing stuff, you know, um, doing bits and pieces and um, and I was feeling so anxious about it and my mum was there, my mum had decided at the last minute that 
she was missing out on all the fun. And so she flew over to London to be there. Oh, great. And it was amazing. And that first morning, I just said to my mum, oh, shit, I hope people come. <laughs> you know, because am I in the wrong venue? Has, has, I, has there been enough media? I was so unsure. And then at 5 to 10, people started lining up to wow. come in. And I got really emotional. And then they walked in and seeing their face light up oh. um, to see the room and just walk up to each piece and start chatting and taking photos. I had to walk out the front and cry. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, thank God. Yeah. <laughs> thank God people have actually come along and that they're enjoying it. Because there was so much pressure because I think aside from – uh, the timing and the amount of time it took and all of that, so many people had actually financially contributed to it that I felt yeah. a lot of pressure. Yeah. And, um, and and I think that that was freaking me out a bit, actually. No, <laughs> totally. What if it's crap and people want their money back? But they didn't, so it was great. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I have only heard good things about it and that would have been wonderful. And it is emotional when you put on... Like for me, it's usually a show. I put on a show and people come. And um, I guess I'm a performer, so I can't just immediately start crying because I'm yeah. on stage. <laughs> but it's it's um it's hard to you have to really cope with that that sort of rush of feeling when you see a, pa- a packed room of people who came just mm. for you, just for like, not yes. just for you, but like just for for this this uh, this crazy idea that you had a year and a half yes. ago or however long it took, you know. Yeah. Uh, to see it come to fruition and people actually turn up, it's amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. And that night um, was the opening. So, and because I'm me, I did everything different. So in London, um, Thursday nights are opening nights at galleries, museums, everything. Oh. And it's, I think, is it something like, uh, I can't remember now, um, but it's, you know, the first Friday of the month or something or every second Friday so and a lot of people exhibition hop so they will go out and just go to every exhibition and drink all the free wine and the free canapé <laughs> and not really care about the artwork yeah. and it means nothing to them Yeah. and I was really mortified to hear that that was the culture and I'm sure there's yeah. plenty of people in that that you know love it but I sort of thought no that's rubbish and um, so I decided to have spare parts open um the Friday it opened, so it was a Friday night. I didn't wait till the next Thursday, which everyone kept telling me that I should wait because mm. um, I'll get more people along. And the other interesting thing is um, it's expected that you're invited to exhibition openings as well, even though they're kind of open to the public, but you're expected to know all the information and, you know, it's on their mailing list or their VIP list and stuff. And I said, no, it's utterly open the public mm. anyone can come along and have a free drink and there's no cash bar or anything it's a free drink wow so and cause i had endless calls from people who'd read about it and saying um can i rsvp for the opening and i just said just come along everyone's welcome and everyone kept saying that it was so refreshing and mm. of course it's done by an australian <laughs> <It's just laughs> so easy going welcoming anyone can come along and then as I was feeling really anxious, I thought, maybe this is going to backfire and no one will come along to the <laughs> And the Australian Embassy had been incredible to me, um, like life-changing support with those guys and in so many different ways from even they let me loose in the basement to 
embassy if there was any um, furniture or display things or plinths or anything that I could borrow from the embassy, which was amazing. Um, And I did borrow an amazing cabinet, actually, that when Quentin Bryce came to my exhibition for a private viewing, she actually asked about the cabinet because it was so beautiful. And I said, I got it from the basement at the embassy. And she laughed (laughs) and she couldn't believe (laughs) that's where it came from. um, She went all the way from the embassy to your exhibition. To look yeah. at furniture from the embassy. I love it. Yeah, yeah it's pretty funny. So, um, and so the Australian embassy also sponsored the opening night and um, oh. and it was all Australian um, beer and wine. And it was really funny because there were people actually at the opening who were, who I didn't know, um, hugging their green coopers, saying, where did it come from? <laughs> you know, they, they'd not seen one or drunk one in Dingo bingo. Yeah, and they've got burger rings and stuff at the bar there. It's amazing. Yes. It's very cool. Oh. So so I felt like, you know, I oh know the Australian Embassy, you know, and the Deputy High Commissioner for Australia is gonna open my exhibition tonight. And um and I had friends of mine that uh, my friend who I worked with at the zoo in Brisbane was living in London. And so she was running the bar at the opening of my exhibition for me. And we were doing so much and I had ice to live in, I'm like what if I didn't need any of this? And I was just having a really big day of self-doubt. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and um, and then I went back to where I was staying up the road and to get changed into, you know, something a bit fancy for the opening. Mm. And on the way back to the gallery at, you know, probably 4 o'clock in the afternoon on a Friday when a lot of people would be knocking off work, there was a massive storm in London like a hardcore Queensland-style tropical torrential downfall Yikes. where train stations were closed, streets were flooded. Oh, my God. <laughs> and I got drenched. The roof started to fall in on one of the artworks <laughs> in the exhibition. And, yeah, Jeez. and so the owner was on the roof trying to fix it and we'd had to move it and put this bucket in the middle of the gallery. <laughs> and, um, and I was drenched from all the water so my shirt, my beautiful shirt from Dogstar was drenched through. No. And, um, and I was almost hyperventilating. <laughs> yeah. You know, yep, oh I my God. Too. Yep. <laughs> no one's going to come at all. I've totally jinxed myself. And then the sky cleared, the water drained away. And people started to come, and there were hundreds of people. Wow. Hundreds of people came to the opening. And I don't know who any of them were. <laughs> and yes. It was really great. That's what and you want a sea full of strangers. It uh, was really, it was wonderful. That's when you know you've made a it. A friend of, uh, sorry? Sorry, no, that's, that, that's how you know you've made it. When you look out yeah. and you don't know any faces. <laughs> I know. And my friend said, Who are these people? And I went, Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. But it was so amazing and obviously a lot of artists were involved um and they brought their people but it was kind of like a rock star convention of amputees any amputee with a wild prosthetic was there yes it was incredible oh. and like a star-studded amputee event i loved it um did, and did one of my friends kevin who's an australian who i know in well, London, of course he is he's kevin yep yes kevin <laughs> kev so um kev came along to the exhibition and he said to me later in the night do you know like I, I don't 
really know much about what you do, but I really like you. <laughs> and then I kind of felt sorry for you because I thought you've only got five friends in London, so I better come along to your opening, otherwise you'll know and I'll feel really bad. And he was saying that he kind of came along out of pity. <laughs> and he said, no, Thanks, I've had Kev. the best night. Who are all these people? I'm like, I don't know, and I'm glad you've had fun. <laughs> but it was, and I love that he told me that, that he just sort of thought, I'd better go along because it's just going to be the five <laughs> at this opening and um and it was just amazing and then a friend of mine gave me a bottle of moe on the night and after the exhibition closed and everything was packed down i was staying at this super super cheap hotel up the road yeah and i went up there and i cracked open a bottle of moe and just drank it on the steps yeah amazing so that was the opening night yeah <laughs> do you do you ever now like when you're I don't know like you're doing a garage sale or you're cleaning out your <laughs> cleaning out some boxes do you ever think I put on a fucking exhibition in London <laughs> do you just pinch yourself like yes yeah yeah I do it's really funny because I feel very um sometimes I feel like that wasn't me yeah. and that I'm a caretaker of someone else's project or I was just there helping I have to really remind myself that that was me and yeah. that that amazing idea actually came from my brain because sometimes I'm shocked. <laughs> <laughs> and I just feel such a huge amount of pride, like a, a, a type of pride that it's beyond self-pride. It's like this, yeah. like I'm really proud of my best friend who did something. Yes. Yeah. And but it, then I have to remember, oh no, that was my exhibition. You know, if you meet an amputee, there's so many more interesting things you can ask and stories they can tell you other than what happened to them. Yeah. Because usually what happened to them is going to be really sad or traumatic. Mm-hmm. And why do they have to live through that story every day because someone wants a gory bit of information? And oh, I yeah. love saying to people um, ask them about their leg or ask, you know, um, ask them, ask them, ask them what they do. Do they ask have them. any funny stories? Yeah. Hey, you know, I read this story about such and such. Or do you, how are you going in summer? Ask them how they feel in the weather that they've got and different things like that. And I, a friend of mine interviewing another amputee soon and he was asking some advice for interesting questions. And I said, do you know what? We have all fallen over and laughed about it after. (laughs) And they are dramatic falls. They are awful. And I said, and I can tell you some that are hilarious. And what a great question to ask. Like, where you can say, so I've been told every amputee falls over and laughs about it later. Can you tell me about one of your stories? And I don't know an amputee out there who doesn't have a funny story like it wasn't funny at the time it was bloody awful and painful and embarrassing but you can laugh about it later you know and and I think that that those stories are the really interesting ones and the the trauma and the gore you know should be um forgotten about because there's no joy in that
thank you so much to Priscilla Sutton for being on the podcast. And thank you, the listener, for listening. This doesn't happen without you. And thank you to all my patrons, but especially, and oh, here we go, um, Alexandra Neal, Kara Schlegel, Scott Mercer, Josh Dinellen, Ashley Warren, Jane Howard, Leifa Singleton-Norton, former guest on the podcast, thank you, Leifa, James Colley, Anna Spargo-Ryan, aspirational future guest, Anna, I'm just throwing it out there, Heidi, Jessica Alice, David Riding, Talia, Jim Reynolds, Lauren Pico, Alan Varwork, Kristen B, Tegan, and Chris Woods. Thank you, everyone who has pledged to the Patreon. Um, This is like, I cried like the first day that, that everyone started like that we launched it and everyone started donating it. It's just overwhelming and your support means so much to me because I just do this alone in my bedroom. So all the support you give me really means a lot. If you would like to get in touch, please follow our Twitter, JAS Podcast, and check out our Tumblr, justaspoonfulpodcast.tumblr.com, where I'll be posting more information about Priscilla Sutton and also about the songs that you heard on the podcast today and what's happening. Um, Thank you so much for listening, and I hope that you find a little bit of something to get you through the day. Oh. Uh.